So do you ever feel like that guy? <laughs> you ran over here and fix this problem, and then, oh, no, we've got to fix that problem. Oh, no, fix that. <laughs> this is better than Abbott and Costello. I mean, it's just humor hour. <laughs> I love that guy. But you know what? Sometimes our lives are like that. Ever feel like that guy? I mean, sometimes you just fix one problem, then another one, and that, back and forth, and you don't know what to do. And so today, we're going to begin a series on the book of Haggai. And uh, this series is about, the prophet is addressing people who are feeling like this guy. They're they're running around doing things, but nothing seems to be getting done. And everything they try to put their hand to is failing, and they're very frustrated. And Haggai has an answer to feeling this way. And he's got a way, and he shows the people why they are in this predicament that this guy finds himself in. Why, why everything is not working out for them. And, uh, and so that's the book that we're going to have a, a, a look at. It basically gives a, a solution to being, you know, always getting the short end of the stick, always finding yourself behind the eight ball, as it were. Um, and the solution, when the people obey the solution, boom, their luck changes instantly. And, uh, and suddenly things go better. And so would you like that for your, yeah, yeah, you would like that for your, your future to change. Well, let's start with prayer because uh, opening God's word is so important to pray and ask God to guide our hearts as we look at, at his word. Also wanted to let you know that Lydia Taylor's mom passed away yesterday. And so we want to pray for her. Also want to let you know that uh, Gemma Fellini was in a pretty bad accident this week. A drunk driver hit her at high speed, and uh, she got a concussion, and she's feeling a lot of sorts. So let's pray for these two needs um, before we go to the Word of God. Father, we, we thank you that we can bring our cares and our needs before you and bring them up to the throne of glory where you uh, pay attention and where you help us. And so, Father, we pray that you be with Lydia right now as she's suffering loss of her mom. Lord, we just ask that you would grant her peace. We pray, Lord, that she she and her family would have the peace that passes understanding. And, uh, Father, we thank you that her mom believed in you, and she is with you in glory. And we just ask, Lord, that you would bless Lydia and Ron as they uh, make preparations for funeral arrangements and these things. We just ask, Lord, that you would touch them and bless them. We also pray for Gemma Fellini, Lord. We just uh, thank you that her life was spared and that she didn't have any uh, life-threatening injuries, but Lord, she did have some injuries, and we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, bring healing to her. Also, uh, just the shock of being in an accident, Lord, we ask that you would uh, bring comfort to her and that she would not be fearful of being out on the road. Uh, So, Father, we just pray for her and ask that you would bless her and encourage her. Now, Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We are your servants, and we say to you, Lord, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in boldness and in power. Lord, for without your power, uh, I'm just shooting off at the hip here. But Lord, with your power, you will impact our lives. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you might wonder, why in the world are you starting off the fall series with an obscure book like Haggai? I mean, 
what is Haggai even about after all? I mean, well, if you listened to Matt last week and you read the book, you'd know what it's about. Uh, you see, last week when Matt and Sam came from Africa and I met them at the front door and I asked them, you know, I was quite shocked to see them and I welcomed them back to Canada. And uh, I asked Matt, did you, get, did you get a chance to preach while you're over there in Gulmi? And he said, oh, yeah, I did. I was preaching through the book of Haggai. What an awesome book. And he got all fired up and excited. I'm like, why are you so excited about this minor prophet? And I bet you if you look in your Bibles, you won't even be able to find the thing. I mean, where is that book anyways? It's in there somewhere. But he was so excited. And I was thinking to myself, well, I haven't actually chosen a sermon series yet for this fall. Maybe that's it. And uh, But I kind of thought, Probably not, but I should probably look at it anyways. And, uh, and so I did what he challenged us to do. I read the book. And, it, and just like he said, it takes about five minutes. But it was five minutes of me going, oh, that message again, Lord? Because God has been sharing with me the message of Haggai all summer, all, all ten weeks of my time off, it's this message he's just been pounding into me over and over and over. And I'm like, I thought I got it, Lord, but I guess I haven't got it yet. And so God has been pounding this message into my head. And I guess he wants to sh- me to share it with you. Because uh, I figure, well, if, if I need a message like this, there's probably someone else in the congregation that needs the message of Haggai. And I'm telling you, it was so loud and clear that when I said to my wife, you know, this is the message that God has been telling me all summer long. You know what her response was? You mean the book of Haggai tells you not to work on that house? <laughs> and I said, yeah, in fact, that's what it says, literally, word for word, virtual, well, virtually. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so... I've been working on a house all summer. It's not the house, that's not the problem. And I'm still planning on working on it tomorrow, so I have to be careful what I say here. And I worked on it yesterday too. Um, So, but this house has, has caused a problem in my life because I'm a very one track minded person. I'm very focused. When I get when I get on a subject or I get on a track, I'm very determined, very passionate, and I tend to go all in, all in. And God was saying, no, you're not going all in on this. This is not your life's work. This is not what you are about. This is not who I called you to be, and I will have none of this. And uh, so anyways, we're going to get a bit more. God was saying really loud and clear that this Building of a house is not to be my life. And it became so ridiculously clear. Now the problem is, I didn't really like this message. (laughs) I like building houses, and I really wanted this to be my focus for the summer. I mean, I took 10 weeks off. The board said, yeah, yeah, sure, go take 10 weeks off. It's all good. But God said, I don't think so. This is not who I've called you to be. And I've accepted the message. I've gotten the message. And I've accepted it. And I believe God uh, is calling me to be a servant of his, primarily focused on him, 
being his son, being his, uh, his servant. This is who he's called me to be. But in practice, quite honestly, I find it very, very difficult. I mean, I love being a pastor. I do. I really do. But um, this building project is ongoing, and it's, it's very tempting, extremely tempting for me to make it primary in my life. And God is saying, no. So that's the, the basic message of, of uh, Haggai. Uh, sort of, but applied to me, <laughs> okay? And you're going to have to apply it to your own life a little bit. Um, and so I'm going to be pretty vulnerable today and, and with this message and probably the next few weeks. Um, the book starts with this. It's a declaration of the word of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Zodak, the high priest. So God is speaking to Haggai. And in verse 2, it says, the Lord Almighty says. And in verse 3, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And verse 7, <laughs> this is what the Lord Almighty says. You get the idea that Haggai is really obviously being talked to by the Lord. Now, um, God was speaking to him, and you, I don't know if you remember the last sermon I gave before I went on sabbatical for the summer. Anyone remember? It was on the voice of the Lord, and that the Lord would speak to us if we would only listen to him. And, um, and so that's where I left off. And boy, did God ever speak loud and clear constantly. Um, and so... Um, and he said basically exactly what the book of Haggai says. So, <clears throat> I kind of feel like one of the prophets of old. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, these guys, they were told by God to do certain things, kind of crazy things sometimes. And they did them, and their life became a walking motion picture to the rest of the people of what God was trying to say. And so you, you got guys like Isaiah. Did you know Isaiah walked around naked for three years? I mean, you know, not building a house seems like small potatoes to that, compared to that, or not making a house a priority in my life seems small potatoes to that. I'm glad God hasn't called me to walk around naked for three years. I really don't like those white padded rooms, you know. <laughs> and, and, and then there's this guy Hosea, right? God says, I'm going to make your life an example. So what I want you to do is go marry the prostitute, Gomer. Prostitute? Really? Marry a prostitute? Okay. So he does what God says. And, and, and then he, he has uh, children. The, the first kid he has with, with his wife, uh, God says, well, call her by the name of that massacre that happened uh, a few years ago. And he calls his kid by the name of the place of a massacre. Kind of a weird way to call it. And then, then the second child arrives, and he calls the second child not loved. Well, that's a really nice name, don't you? Isn't that a great name for a kid? And then the third child, not mine. What? <laughs> this, this is a, this is these are the names of Isaiah's kids, and, and his wife is clearly continuing on her prostitution while she's married to him. And the Lord is saying 
Well, Hosea's whole life is an example to the whole nation that the nation has been going after other idols and other gods. And, and so this is an example. And I'm like, well, I'm really glad God didn't call me that example either. And, and there's many, many examples like this, like, like uh, Ezekiel. I mean, some people think Ezekiel was crazy, but God called him to, you know, like build little siege works and, and chop his hair and throw it in the fire and, and, and lay on his side for a year and, and, and cook his food over dung. Um, I mean, poop, really. Dried out poop. You gotta cook your food over that. And and, and at first he said it's gotta be God said it's gotta be human poop. And and, and he's like, oh, Lord, I can't do that. I want to defile myself. And God says, oh, Okay, fine, you can use cow manure. Oh, so much better. <laughs> but, but these guys lived out the actions of deportation to the people. And so I kind of feel like one of these guys living out uh, what God calls us to do. And so let's get into the message that the Lord gave to Haggai. The first message is this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It's in verse 2. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. This is the first message. It's kind of a strange message. But you notice that it starts with these people. Now, when you hear someone say, oh, these people do this or that, who were these people? They were the Israelites. Whose people are they? They're God's people. Why is God not saying, my people say, it's not yet time to build the house of the Lord? But he says, these people. It's almost like God is saying, he's keeping his distance. There's a little little, uh, um, rebuke in saying, these are not my people. It's almost like an exasperation. Oh, these people. You know, they they just say they're saying, "Oh, it's not time yet to build the house of the Lord." And like, when is it going to be the time? When is it going to be the time to focus on the things of God? And then the next verse, uh, Hosea says this, and it's not exasperation; it's actually sarcasm here. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai: "Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a, a ruin?" You get what God was saying here? Oh, so it's fine for you to live in beautiful houses, but I have to live in a, in a, a heap of rubble. Where's the priority here? And this is what God says to us in Canada today. Where is our priority? Is it on our little kingdom or is it on God's kingdom? Is it our house or God's house? What's it, what's it going to be? Where's our focus? Where's our direction? And this is the message that God has been pounding into my head all summer long. Really? You're going to focus this much on a house? Uh, and it's... Uh, I think sometimes God is exasperated with us. I think sometimes God's exasperated with me. It's like, Bill, do you not get it? <laughs> I just... Uh, I mean, sometimes I have to learn the same lesson over and over and over. And I've preached on this subject before, and I've repented on the subject of not putting God first in my life publicly in front of all of you a bunch of times. And now i got to do it again. It's getting annoying to me. <laughs> and yet, this is what God calls us to do. The lesson of Haggai is definitely for me, but I believe 
it's also for all of us. Do you ever get exasperated with yourself? That you can't keep, you know, that devotional time regular. I can't keep this focus on God regular. I keep forgetting to pray for my neighbors. I keep, it's like exasperating. And, and I think sometimes God might be a little sarcastic with us. Oh, you seem to have plenty of time to play those video games. Oh, you seem to have plenty of time to, you know, to spend time fixing up your car or your house or, or, or hanging out with your friends. You seem to have lots of time with that. But why do you have so little time to spend with me? I don't know. What are you after? Are you after God's agenda? Or is it your agenda that takes priority in your life? The Israelites were all concerned about building their nice little houses, getting the nice perfect cedar paneling, putting that on. I think it's a lot like today. There's a lot of us who like to nice houses. So we need... But they didn't, they didn't give two hoots about God's temple. So we need a little bit of a history lesson here just, just to try to put Haggai into the history because it's kind of history-bound. Um, basically, the Israelites had defied God, had not listened to God, had not put God first, and God had warned them with prophets and more prophets and more prophets and all these guys wandering around, uh, you know, building siege ramps and laying on their side and, and doing all these things as pictures to the people. We're really showing the people, if you don't get back to God, you are going to end up as slaves in a foreign country. That's what's going to happen to you. So smarten up. And they didn't listen. And so... Um, I, I, let's have a timeline here. So this is a bit of a timeline chronology of Haggai. It's, I know it's too small to read. Um, so I put it in another format. It's not as pretty, but it's more legible. Um, so about 720 BC, these are all BC dates. So you got to think backwards in your counting. Okay. The smaller the number, the later it is. Um, so Way back in 720, uh, Isaiah prophesies that there's going to be a coming king named Cyrus. He names him by name. And Cyrus is going to tell people to rebuild the temple. Um, now, you kind of go like, well, they're not even in cap- they haven't even been captured. They haven't been sent away. Uh, and the temple's still standing. What is this guy talking about? But, of course, the Babylonians came and invade in uh, about... Uh, How's my math? <laughs> About nine, 90 years later. And uh, so long after Isaiah's gone. And, uh, and then Jeremiah prophesies. And Jeremiah prophesies that the, that the captivity is going to last 70 years. And then there's another Babylonian invasion. And finally, in 586, the Babylonians have had enough with Israel because Israel keeps rebelling against the Babylonians and finally they come with their huge army and besiege Jerusalem. Jerusalem had big fortifications. It was a powerful city but uh, there were thousands and and possibly millions of Babylonians attacking the city and basically they waited they cut the city off and so they basically starved the people out and finally the city fell and the Babylonians came and they just leveled the whole city temple, everything. Just put, took it all to the ground. All the walls, everything. Burnt everything that was burned. And that was the end of Jerusalem, basically. And the end of the rebellion. Um, so then in, in five, 
39, Cyrus, the guy I prophesied about, becomes he's, he's a mean, and he overtakes the Babylonian empire by actually attacking when uh, they, they cut off the Euphrates River from flowing through the city of Babylon, and then they went un- underneath the gate because there was a big wall over the river, and they went underneath, and they, they diverted it. As, anyways, it's a long story. Amazing, they, they uh, take over Babylon, and Cyrus becomes the king. And a year later, he declares, he issues a decree to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the Jews go back to Jerusalem, and a year later they start building the temple. And they're pretty excited about it. And, and the sacrifices start. They build the altar first. They have sacrifices. And then the, um, the neighboring town, um, the Samaritans, they, they go like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they don't want the temple to be built. And so they send letters. You can read about it in Ezra chapter 4. They send letter, letters to the Babylonian empires, emperors and get letters back and forth. And basically the building stops. And so then Darius becomes emperor. Do you remember the first verse we read earlier? Uh, first verse of the passage is, oh, where is it? Maybe I should just look in my Bible or in my notes probably. Uh, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shittail. So, so this is the second year of King Darius. So let's go back to that. Uh, or maybe it's the next slide, I'm not sure. Um, so we see that, we know that Darius became emperor in 522. So Haggai must begin his prophecy in 520, two years later. And, uh, and so he starts to prophesy that the people have been focusing on the wrong thing. They've been focusing on their own little kingdom. Sure, at first it was the Samaritan opposition to the building of the temple. And the people are saying, well, not, not this year. But it's been 16 years that they, they laid the foundation. So, you know, like I have the footing done on, my, on this house if I wait 16 years, well, I'll be pretty much dead. So, uh, you know, I, I hope it goes a little faster than that. <laughs> um, but waiting 16 years with just a, just a footing, just a foundation in, is a long time. And the people are saying, no, 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 let's not rebuild the house. No, it's not, not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. But I want to show you something. In the book of Haggai, there's six times that there's references to the exact date of Haggai's um, proclamation. So Haggai is very concerned and very precise about dating his messages. Haggai 1 verse 1, verse 15, 2 verse 1, 2 verse 10, 2 verse 18, and 2 verse 20. That's six references in two chapters to the dates. And so I get this feeling that Haggai was pretty concerned about the dates. Do you remember uh, Jeremiah? He prophesied that there'd be 70 years in exile. Well, um, when you get to Daniel, Daniel reads the prophet of, of Jeremiah, and he's reading the prophet of Jeremiah, and he's, he's like, oh, it's going to be 70 years that we're in captivity. And he's like, it sure doesn't look like the captivity's get coming to an end because Daniel was, was during... Um, Nebuchadnezzar's reign and then Darius's reign, and so he's like, 
this doesn't look like it's going to end. So he starts praying and confessing the sins of his people. And in chapter 9, it says, Daniel understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He's praying hard. But look in verse 17. Now, O our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. What's he talking about? He's talking about the temple. He's saying the temple has been destroyed. Your sanctuary, your, your fixed location on earth, as it were, it's been destroyed. Look with favor there. So next slide, please. <clears throat> so if you look over here, you got... The, the first um, deportation of Israelites happened in 609 B.C. Cyrus the Persian conquers Babylon 70 years exactly later. And Cyrus is the one that's going to let the, the Israelites go back. So that could be counted as the 70 years of Jeremiah. But it's interesting, there's another 70 years that a lot of scholars think that represents the Babylonian uh, exile, And that is from the destruction of the temple to the finished product of the building of the temple. Now, uh, that's 70 years also. But you see, the temple of Solomon was destroyed in 584. If you do the math, 49 years later, Cyrus issues a, a decree to rebuild it. They start rebuilding it right away, one, one year later. So that's... 50 years. Now we got 20 years left. And what do they do for the next 16 years? They sit on their hands. They build their own houses. How many years are left? Four years. Four years. You see, God has an agenda. And he says, I want, you know, I got to get, my temple has been destroyed. And it's going to be destroyed for 70 years. And then I'm going to reestablish it. I'm going to rebuild it. But the people got to do the work. And so God's agenda was to have his temple built within the 70 years. Now, nobody knew that. And the people certainly didn't know. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's now is not the time. But God has an agenda. And I believe for us in our lives, God has an agenda, folks, for us. Do we get on board? Or are we too busy with our own agenda? doing our own thing. Because God wants us to get on board with his agenda. And I'm going to talk about his agenda in a few minutes. Um, <clears throat> so, I want to relate this to us today. And I, I'm going to do that by pointing out something in the book of Haggai. In the book of Haggai, in chapter 2, um, this, this book primarily is about the physical rebuilding of the physical temple on, in Jerusalem, on, on the Mount of Jerusalem. And that's really what the, Bible, the book is about. But there's something interesting in the book that points to something greater than just the temple. And it's found in chapter 2, and we're just going to kind of jump ahead a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand that uh, Haggai isn't just about a physical building. If you look in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. 
The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now when you think about this, the second temple era lasted from uh, 516 until 70 AD. That's that's the the second temple era. The second temple was when the people saw it, when they saw the footing, when the, and, some, and possibly Haggai himself saw the original temple. And when they saw the building of the new temple, they were like, ooh, that's nothing compared to the old one. The old one was spectacular. The new one, mm, it's okay. But nobody was excited about the glory of the new temple. And when you look at the old temple, the glory of that old temple was Solomon in all his glory. David had been stockpiling riches from plundering nations for, for decades and just stockpiling it. And then Solomon got to, he stockpiled even more. And Queen of Sheba bringing gold. And, and they built this incredible building. Like, unbelievable. One of the seven wonders of the world building. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And then, at the dedication of the, the first temple, the Shekinah glory came down as they were dedicating it. And the priests couldn't even offer sacrifices because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And they, they, were just, they, they had to leave the temple because the Lord's glory was so intense. And all the people fell on their faces and worshipped the Lord out on the pavement in front of the, the temple. I mean, the glory of the Lord was there. That was incredible. There's no record of anything like that happening for the second temple. There's, never, there's no record of the Shekinah glory coming upon the second temple. Yes, Herod did rebuild the second temple. He expanded it. He made it even more beautiful than it was. But most scholars say, yeah, but it never compared to the first temple. It was as big, but it wasn't as, not nearly as much gold, that's for sure. It wasn't as ornate. It wasn't as fancy. And so how did this prophecy get fulfilled? Jesus, yeah. It's Jesus. If you look, I will shake the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. That's a reference to Jesus himself. And Jesus walked into this temple and filled it with the glory of God by his own presence. And, and that's, what, that's the fulfillment of this passage. And what did Jesus say about his own body? Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He was pointing at the physical temple but he was talking about himself. And so Jesus is the temple, and he is the glory. Um, <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you received from God. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, he says, For we are the temple of the living God. And in... Uh, uh, in First Peter, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the temple. And so in this post-resurrection era that we live in today, we have to recognize that this message about build the house of the Lord is really what our calling is. What my calling, my personal calling is to build the house of the Lord and what all Christians are called to do. Uh, the Bible says 
in Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We, we are God's house. And so God's, this, this call of Haggai, because he, he's going to do that. He's going to, in a few minutes, he's, he's going to call the people to build the house of the Lord. And his call on their lives is, this is, needs to be central. And that needs to be, that's the same call on our lives. To build the kingdom of God. All through the New Testament, Jesus is talking about the kingdom coming, the kingdom coming. And he's calling us to be workers in his kingdom and put his kingdom first. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Long before we get, we get to give us this day our daily breads. Right? First it's thy kingdom come. First it's your will be done. And then it's about our needs. And, and this is a vital part of the Christian life that we need to stick to. Um, God prioritizes his work on his house in the hearts of the people. You see, the interesting thing about Christianity is it's not just all up here. Sometimes we get thinking that, oh, it's just as long as I love God in my heart. And I want to tell you, Loving God in your heart is not what God wants. It's part of what God wants. <laughs> he, got, he does want you to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But it's only a piece because we are physical people and God wants our love for him that's in our heart to be demonstrated by our physical beings. Um, you know, if, you, if, you, if I said, oh, I love my wife with all my heart, but I never talk with her, uh, never hang out with her, never want to do anything with her, uh, never make love to her. I mean, you would say, ah, I don't know about that. I don't think so, right? But I love her. So hopefully I do some of those things. <laughs> the house has been taken over, I tell you. I'm, uh, I'm lacking in various areas this summer. But luckily she's gracious and we have a fantastic relationship. Um, So, just like in Haggai's day, I believe the house of the Lord in Canada has fallen into disrepair. And if you're paying any attention to Christianity in Canada, you know that Christianity has been on a steep, steep decline for decades, for decades and decades. The Canada that I grew up in as a teenager and the Canada that we have today, very, very different. I fear for my kids growing up in this, this culture. I fear for my grandkids, if I ever have any, uh, growing up in this culture. It's, it's a culture bent against Christianity. That was not the case when I was a kid. When I was a kid, if you were a Christian, you were considered to be uh, a good citizen, maybe even a goody-goody two-shoes. I don't know, but it was, it was, you could wear the badge Christian with pride. Today, the Christian badge is worn with shame, it seems. At least that's what the world, how the world wants us to wear it. And I, I kind of rebel against that. Anyways, um, and so then, so Hosea points out this problem. The house of the Lord is in disrepair, and you guys are focused on your own houses. What's going on? 
And I believe that's the message for us today. The house of the Lord in Canada is in disrepair. And we're busy going, preparing for our retirement. We're busy uh, doing this, doing that, doing it, working, having kids, whatever we're doing. But are we giving any regard to the house of the Lord being in disrepair in Canada today? And what are we doing about it? Look how, look how this passage carries on, verse 5 and 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Does this feel like you? <laughs> and then uh, verse, uh, verse 9. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. You ever do that? You kind of make an investment or you're, you're hoping for a big payoff and uh, it doesn't turn out to be much. What you brought home, I blew away. This is the Lord saying. You bring your wages home and I blow them out the door declares the Lord Almighty. Because my house, which remains in a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. See, that's the very words that got me, right? Each of you is busy with your own house, and my house remains a ruin. And I was struck by that over and over again. Therefore, because, you, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth stops its crops. And I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on the people and livestock. And, and on all well, remember I told you about that last, last sermon I gave? I'm listening to God's voice. Do you think that I listened that week to God's voice? I didn't even pray. I was on sabbatical, and I it was like I just went, ah, I'm done. Preached a great sermon. People are happy. I've got people lined up all summer to, to preach. I'm done. I'm out of here. And I spent the next... 50, 60 hours almost with maybe just sleep in between, drawing and getting the plans ready for the house I was building. Just straight, no, no prayer, no nothing. And I was, I was, I finally got the, the uh, surveys from the surveyor and I was going to, I was on my way to take the surveys to the municipality so that they could approve the, the plans for this house so we could get building. I mean, I was just focused. I was going, going, going. And I'm driving down the highway, and a big hunk of metal flicks up from a car and goes right through my radiator. And I had to get my t t car towed. And it was just like God saying, what do you think you're doing, Bill? It was so loud and clear. It was, I was so shocked. And I heard just like loud and clear, you preach one message and then you live completely the opposite message. What do you think you're doing? I'm not going to allow it. And that was God's message to me. I'm not going to allow it. You're not doing this. 
And God did not bless the labor of my hands, and he wouldn't bless it, and he wouldn't bless it. And I, I started focusing on God. And it got to the point where if I didn't have my devotions in the morning, there would definitely be a flat tire in my truck. I mean, it was like night, like it was just like, you know, I'm like, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I, I've been a Christian for 40, and I haven't figured this out yet. Like, come on, you know? And I really honestly felt God just going, come on, get this. You're supposed to be a leader, and what do you, what do you think you're doing? And it was like, it was this. God was withholding his blessing on the layer of my hands because I was failing to put him first. And I had a bunch of arguments with the Lord over this, okay? I'm a bit of a stubborn Dutchman. And uh, so we had some arguments. And one of the arguments was this. Lord, I have lived for you my whole life. And I have worked for you. And, you know, you didn't seem to have any trouble with me building your house over there. You seem to be perfectly fine. You blessed in every way. Why can't I build my own house? Like, what's the problem here? And, 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 And then he... Where am I? And, of course, this verse of the Scripture was going through my head the whole time. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. Of course, right? And I'm like, what? Uh, and you remember Nebuchadnezzar, he built a big big city, Babylon, and then he got very prideful. So I get that. I don't want that, I don't want that to happen. So, so I started pleading with the Lord. Lord, I don't want to build this house unless you bless it. I, unless you go with me. I, I'm not going here. And, and I have a partner, and I was worried about what would happen to that and I I was letting my end of the bargain down and it was all like kind of a mess Um, where's the verse yeah so when I was having this argument with the Lord this is the passage that I read in my daily devotions because I was starting to have daily devotions Uh, still don't have that perfectly down but this is what it, what he said. This is what God. This was God's answer to my frustration, my cry. Like, hey, don't I get to build my own house? Like, do I just have to work for you all the time? What's what's the deal? Let's, and here's his answer. <laughs> I was a little bit shocked. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after his sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, "Come along now, sit down and eat. Won't, come along, have, have lunch with me." Won't he rather say? Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. And he will thank this. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants and we have only done our duty. I I told you I didn't like what God was saying. (laughs) I really did not like this. And I got into a bit of a, I was like, what, really? That doesn't seem fair to me. That doesn't seem right to me. This doesn't seem just. So, yeah, so I I know what it's like to feel like 
you're under pressure because God is saying, no, I'm first. I need to be first in your life. And when I told this to people, they said, Bill, I think you're imagining this. And I'm like, no, I'm not imagining this. And they said, surely you have a right to build your own house. Surely you have the right to have fun. Surely you have the right to do your own thing. And I said, yeah, I do, but God's not in it unless I put him first. Unless I put God first, he'll never bless this thing. And uh, yeah, so anyways, I I know it was God's voice. So you you can tell me whatever you want. I know it was God's voice. Um, God, God doesn't call us to easy stuff. God calls us to take the hard road over and over and over again. Do you remember what, you know, when Jesus was challenged, he told the story of, of Elijah. You remember what, when Elijah, well, there was a famine in the whole land, right? And Elijah is sent to this woman, and God says to him, you know, go to this woman and ask her for some bread. And so he goes there, and he asks this woman, can I have some bread? And the woman says, well, I've only got a tiny little bit of flour and a tiny little bit of oil, and I was going to mix them together so that my son and I could eat it and die. And what does Elijah say? Okay, well, give that to me. (laughs) Give, Give that to me. And I'm like, really? That seems unrealistic. But but he adds on, and the oil will not fail, and the flour will not fail. So go go make that for me, and then the oil will not fail, and the and the jar and the. And I'm like, this this is what God does. He says, you know what? It's not easy to follow me. You make me first place, and I will bless you. I will bless you, but you got to make me first place. And the woman did what Elijah said. And she sacrificed her last meal for the prophet. Wow. That's incredible. Like, who does that? But God blessed her. God blessed her. And I believe God is calling us as a congregation, us as the church, us as Eastgate Alliance, me as pastor of Eastgate Alliance Church, he's calling us to sacrifice for his kingdom's sake. And he will bless. He will bless the works of our hand. I believe he'll bless this house I'm building. But not if it's first place in my life. No way. And, you know, I've never understood the Lord disciplines those he loves. I've never seen that in practice. I've never felt it very much. I felt it this summer, I'm telling you. I felt it. And I felt the God's love for me like you wouldn't believe. He blessed my socks off in many ways in many other areas he loves me dearly and I can't get away from his love and even his discipline is his love he, because he knows me he knows how easy it is for me to get and I think all along he was saying you know, don't build this project and I'm stubborn as anything and, and went ahead with it anyways but he knows that it's a major problem in my life he knows that and I, I'm now very aware of it <laughs> But he calls us to this tough thing. So I want to close with a story about a fella. Uh, He lived about 300 years ago. Um, Well, 250 maybe. Uh, And uh, there was a Baptist leaders convention. He was part of it. 
and he was newly ordained. And he and this guy stood up and argued the value of overseas missions. And he was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God chooses to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or I. That man was a William Carey. And William Carey, he, he was a poor man who uh, worked at cobbling shoes and uh, couldn't make enough money to live off it. And yet God called him to sacrifice. And so God called him to India. And he... Then he lost his two-year-old son before leaving for India. And he preached a sermon called um, Expect Great Things, Attempt Great Things. And so he went, before anyone else was going on missions, he he'd read about the Moravians going on missions trips, and he thought, this is amazing. And he was trying to, to teach, basically, that God's, that the command of Jesus to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, that that applied to them. And he was getting nowhere. But finally, he realized that it applied to him. And so he left for India on this long voyage. Well, when he got to India, he had no friends, no Christians. It took him seven years to get one convert. His second child died he had, he had four more kids, or three kids when he, when he went, and one on the way. He had no money. He couldn't find work, couldn't have, find a place to stay. He had to move around all the time trying to find work and a place to stay. He was poor as church mice, even poorer, and no support from home base. It was a horrible life. And his, sec, another, his second child died of dysentery. His wife lost it. She just couldn't handle it, and kind of went crazy, actually attacked him with a knife, uh, accused him of, of, uh, of adultery and all kinds of things. And it was, he says that it was a very, very trying time. And he writes in his diary, uh, I would have despaired of life, but God is here. And every time he writes of you know, a child dying or his wife going crazy, he writes, but God is with me. After he writes about you know, the terrible event. And I was shocked as I was reading this. And, and he spent 42 years in India without a furlough, without a break. He translated the Bible into five main languages of India. Five main languages translated the Bible. Um, Bengali, Ore, Marthiya, Hindi, and Amanese and Sanskrit, which is six, I guess, and parts of 29, 209 other languages. 209. It's amazing. He brought social, radical social reform to India, including the abolition of infanticide, widow burning, and assisted suicide. Um, he, he founded a college. His mission only counted 700 converts by the end of his his lifetime but he laid the foundation for worldwide missions his greatest legacy was that mission, missionaries like Adoram Judson Hudson Taylor David Livingston among thousands of others were following his example were impressed with what he did 
And they followed his example into sacrifice of their lives for the gospel. And his words, expect great things, attempt great things, rings all through 19th century Protestantism. And it rings true today. And so my challenge for us today is to build the house of the Lord with everything we got. Put everything in there. And you might say, well, what does it mean to build the house of the Lord? I thought that's what we were doing. We're trying to build a a God-fearing church here. We're trying to be obedient to God. We're trying to do great things for God here, aren't we? Yes, but I believe it primarily means taking the gospel to the unbelievers. Doing mission right here in our own backyard. And I'm, I'm passionate about this, and I've, I've allowed that passion to subside a bit. And, you know, I often say I don't have the gift of evangelism. But as I look at my life, I realize, well, maybe I do, because I led a lot of people to the Lord. And I believe that we as a church need to be an evangelistic church. We need to go take the, the kingdom. We need to build God's church, not just by being good, holy Christians. Yes, that's important. But by evangelizing, by bringing people into the church, by bringing people into the kingdom. This is when, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he, he, he talks about, you know, it's as small as a mustard seed, but it grows into this huge tree. He, uh, Daniel talks about a rock being cut from, the, from a mountain and rolling down and becoming big enough to fill the whole earth, an expanding rock. This is, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about expansion. And God is not willing that any should perish, but is long-suffering. And so, you know, we talked about the timeline of, of Haggai and that the temple had to be built by 70 years. And we talked about the glory of God coming into it when Jesus comes. Well, guess what? Jesus is coming back. And God doesn't want anyone to perish. And he's calling us to put him and his kingdom first, to go out and share the gospel with people. That's what he's calling us to do. That is building the house of the Lord today. And I, I feel like we're toying with it. We have summer day camp. Amazing outreach. Beautiful outreach. We have Alpha. Amazing outreach. Beautiful outreach. And it's powerful. But one event a year, and then a couple, three or four people focusing on this other thing is not shaking the gates of hell for the kingdom of God. <laughs> that takes all of us all the time being on fire, in, on, tuned in to God's spirit, taking the message always to our friends and neighbors and colleagues. And so I, I want you to pray about this and I want to challenge you to help us, as Eastgate Alliance Church, be more effective at building the house of the Lord in this way, of, of building the people and bringing people into the kingdom. And so I, I want you to think about it, pray about it. And if God gives you some ideas on what we should do, you know, I asked this uh, at our staff meeting, and I'm telling you, one of the people there gave an amazing possibility of how to reach the lost. And I was like, wow, that, that sounds fantastic. And so I had never thought of it before. And, and uh, you know, I'll probably share about it at some point. But um, if God speaks to you, can you come and talk to me about it?
I'd, I'd like us to maybe put some committees together to try to do various activities that bring the lost to Christ and make this a big focus of Eastgate Alliance Church. Not just something that happens, a few people over here doing it in Alpha, one time during the summer we do it. But no, this, this kind of this main focus that we are dedicated not to our own building, not to our own plans, not to our own agenda, but we are dedicated to building the church of God according to God's timetable in which Christ comes back when all the nations have heard the gospel. We have this opportunity to reach all the nations right here in Ottawa. I mean, we have this amazing opportunity. I mean, all nations are, well, almost all nations are represented right here. Not all nations, but we have, I think, 40 nations out of what, 250? That's a pretty good chunk of the nations of the world. We have every continent accounted for by people who attend here. And I think there's a connection, and we can reach the world right here. So are you with me? Yeah, right on. Well, let's do this. I, 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 I was thinking of having an altar go, but I don't think so. I, I want God to speak to you. And then let's, I, I'm expecting some emails from you guys. Yeah, I'm interested. Or a phone call. Yeah, I'd like to be on a committee. I don't know what yet. Or, yeah, I have this great idea of we could reach the lost this way or that way. And then I'd like us just to pool those ideas. Maybe we'll have some meetings and we'll get this thing off the ground as, as intentional about putting God's kingdom and rebuilding his house today as a, as a focal point of our lives and ministry. All right? Are you in it? This is awesome.